basically how it works when dogs find bread. They like to eat it. My, my dog has a weird, um, I don't know, some sort of deep ingrained um, carb addiction, I guess. So when there's bread or pizza or pasta, he kind of freaks out. Even though I don't give it to him, he still gets super ex- much more excited than other things. Like I, I cook a steak, and he's like, all right, that's kind of interesting. But if I've got, like, spaghetti, he's like, please, for the love of God, give me some spaghetti. Just the pasta, please. None of, that no, sauce none of this sauce garbage. Well, he can take or leave the sauce. He doesn't really care. <laughs> Just want that delicious uh, processed uh, wheat matter. Yeah, we so we give our daughter these little rice puffs. They look like Cheerios, but they're made of like, rice flour I, in there. I recently discovered they come in like a plastic thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was hanging out at my friend's house, and they were giving their son the same thing. Yeah, so um, I left a couple of just a couple of tiny little puffs on the uh, the kitchen table when I left the house the other day, and I realized as I was closing the door that I'd forgotten something. So I went back inside and found not Wally Quincy, our bigger dog, on top of the dining room table, <laughs> eating the puffs. He had jumped up on the bench because we have a bench yeah. on one side of the table because we're rustic like that, and had climbed onto the table to eat them, and he just came inside. He goes, what the hell, Quincy? He just <laughs> hopped down like, off the table. He's like, nothing. YOLO. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey. He's like, oh, what are How's you doing here? <laughs> Funny that you should come in and see this. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, we, we actually are a soccer podcast, even if sometimes we talk about bread and dogs and babies and whatever else happened to come up during that conversation. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor. I'm back from Belgium. I'm joined uh, by Jason uh. Anderson and Ben Bromley. <laughs> <laughs> All of us are from blackandredunited.com. I don't know why you're booing me there. <laughs> I, I, I deserted you, and you had a, an Adam-free podcast to, to start with stupid references to jokes that we have that aren't particularly funny. <laughs> What do we have if not jokes that aren't funny? We have soccer, Ben. Okay. We have soccer. And rice puffs. And rice puffs. Um, We are going to be talking DC United tonight. It's an all-black-and-red show. Uh, We'll be talking the 1-0 win over Orlando City last weekend. We're going to be talking about what will hopefully be the team's next win this weekend against the New York Red Bulls, uh, some Atlantic Cup revenge on tap there. Before we get to that, though, Ben, you have a very colorful drink in your hand. I do. What are you drinking? It's called a Paloma. It is uh, grapefruit juice, tequila, lime juice, and club soda. It's what I, it's what I had available. It was like, I've, I have a bottle of grapefruit juice. Let's see what the internet says you can make with grapefruit juice. And how is your mixed drink? It's good. It's good. It's not great, but it's good. What kind of tequila do you have? Um, what is it called? Trace Agaves? It's the cheapest one in Virginia that is actually 100% actual agave, and not like that Cuervo crap. Does it is... come in a glass bottle or a plastic bottle? Glass bottle. Okay. That's but it comes, in a, a... It comes in a glass it. liter, not a 750. Okay. Okay. But for those of you who don't know, Cuervo is only like 30% real tequila, and the rest of it is just vodka. Like the regular cheap and turbo. Yes, exactly. Well, it's actually it's actually beyond vodka. It's neutral spirits. It's it's vodka that hasn't right. been watered down. Right. 
So don't buy Cuervo. Look for 100% agave on your tequila label. The more you know. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have uh, Oscar Blues. I don't know if this is new or if it's just the first time that it was being carried near me. Um, but I have Oscar Blues' uh, Pinner Throwback IPA. Um, it's a it, it's not ideal because it's spring, but in the summer, um, I, I can see going through a lot of these because it's it's like a a light kind of um, actually. Now that Ben's brought up grapefruit, grapefruit is probably the citrus fruit that comes out. Uh, the most, uh, you know, some IPAs are sort of piney, some of them are sort of citrusy, this mm-hmm. one's more citrusy, um, but it's really good, uh, and I could see going through a lot of them, if not for the return of Dead Rise Ale, which is also bet. Which we will. It'll be a drunk summer. <laughs> <laughs> it always is with you, Jason. It always is. Mm. So, actually, when I was over in Europe, I, I learned that the Netherlands is developing an American-style craft beer culture. They, they they don't have the brewing, the same brewing tradition that Belgium and Germany have. Um, Heineken is from there in Amstel. They, those are their famous beers. They're not, you know, they're not the big, uh, well-regarded, uh, critically acclaimed type of beer. So there's a lot of room for experimentation there. And so there are American-style IPAs and rye pale ales and uh, one... IPA I tried while I was there. I forget who who made it. Uh, it was actually a black IPA. It was straight grapefruit, a hundred percent. The taste was in a in a, in a black IPA. Yeah, that's, 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 that's interesting. And, and Adam, are you yeah. trying to cast aspersions on official MLS partner Heineken Brewing Company? Not at all. No. Why would I do that? <laughs> I, I don't cast anything, let alone aspersions. <laughs> Uh, that said, I am still on my Belgian kick, and so I'm drinking a Leffe Blonde tonight just to because that's a Belgian beer that's available in my grocery beer aisle. So that's what I got. Leffe's good. It's it's a, a good cheap option if you want any sort of Belgian or Belgian-style beer. Yeah, it's it it's not it's the best Belgian available. beer, but no, it's but a it's good beer. No, but it's commonly available, and it's, it's good. Um, it's yeah, nothing special, exactly. but... If you're looking yeah, at that if, or like another another try of Yingling, you should try Leffa <laughs> if you haven't had it before. Because you've had Yingling at, at this point. And if you haven't, uh, do you even drink, bro? Probably not. No, probably not. That's that's cool. That's allowed. Anyway, let's talk about soccer, you guys. DC United stole three points at the Citrus Bowl thanks to a Luis Silva free kick in stoppage time. Um, beating the Orlando City Purple Lions one to nothing. Um, I guess this means Luis Silva's back, you guys. Yay! <laughs> uh, he's probably not 90 minutes fit just yet, but he should make an appearance maybe maybe half an hour or so against the Red Bulls this weekend, working his way up to starting gig here in a few weeks. Um, ben, I have a simple question for you. Bill Hamid. Great American or the greatest American? Obviously, the greatest American. I mean, that, that, that's that's an easy question. Uh, um, I mean, there's still. I mean, if I ask Jason, he he might have gone with just great American because Ben Olson is still around. Yeah, but the, the the title of great American has to be passed to whichever DC United soccer player is performing the best at any individual moment. So that's fair. 
Yeah. It's in the Constitution. Okay. Little known go down to the National Archives. Go down to the National Archives and go read the original. It looks like a smudge, but there, <laughs> there it is. There's a lot to be read into that smudge when you get a magnifying glass. Yep. Yep. And, of course, Ben, you and Nicolas Cage broke into the archives once to write in very small text on the Constitution. So no, I'm I just, not saying I, you definitely did that, but... I just found it written in lemon juice with a, a, under a black light, you know, like you do. As, as one does. Um, so Bill Hamid, obviously, he faced a lot of chances in this and came up huge on every single one of them. Um, the the talk of making him a DP has finally spread beyond this podcast and Black and Red United, and Matt Doyle is talking about it over at the League website. Obviously, we all think that, that Dave Casper should pull the trigger, but the, there's obviously some question whether Bill Hamid wants a DP tagger, just wants to, to go to Europe. So, Ben, I think you should make your case to Bill right now that he should sign with DC United and stick around. So, Bill, if you haven't noticed, there's this big trend of American national teamers coming back to MLS. You don't want to go to a place like Stoke City. Please, anywhere but Stoke City. Um, You don't want to go to a lower-level Premier League team where you may not get any playing time. I mean, even though Brad Guzan is now playing and doing well, you really don't want to emulate him and sit on the bench for four years. He might actually be relegated so, this year, too. Exactly. So you especially don't want to be Brad Guzan right now. So why not get playing time all the time, keep DC United in the Champions League, make good money, stay in Jurgen Klinsmann's good graces by actually playing and playing well, and your ascension to the national team starter will be in the near future. Okay. Jason, anything to add to that? Black and Red United. (laughs) Heart, (laughs) B&R-U. XOXO. Uh, um, I guess the only thing I would add is that, I mean, he can always sign uh, in the short term and play for the rest of the season and then leave in the winter, um, in which case he still gets to go to Europe, as has been, uh, I think, his dream the whole time. United gets a transfer fee and he still gets a big salary. And if if the if something goes wrong and he can't make the if he doesn't get transferred out in the winter, he's still got that big salary to fall back on mm-hmm. in 2016. Um, but I, I think it would be good for the team to show um, that sort of ambition uh, to keep a player like that around. And we've seen it happen uh, before um, with Chris Pontius, for example. Mm-hmm. The, the they used United used the leagues. Uh, one of the many, many mechanisms in which you might uh, expand or, or somehow get around the salary cap um, to, to keep him around without having to pay the full price of his salary and also not have to make him a designated player. Um, in this case, I think the money is going to be too high. It's going to have to be a designated player yeah. deal. But, um, I, I mean, if you're United, you've got to make your best – the best offer you can possibly afford has to be put on the table because we've seen – how desperately this team needs Bill Hamid um, to be at his best. Uh, and that's not a knock. That's not a big thing on, on the backup goalkeepers, but the most important player on the team is Bill Hamid. And I don't, I don't think anyone could disagree with that at this point. No, it's, that's 
for better or worse, that's the truth right now. Um, turning to field players, though, as much as we want to keep talking about um, Luis Silva, who made a cameo appearance and what a cameo it was, uh, and Bill Hamid, who otherwise stole the show, another field player uh, in the game, Nick DeLeon left at halftime with uh, tightness in his hamstring. He might actually be out against the Red Bulls. They're holding that up practice for a few days, is what Steve Goff reported today. Um, Michael Farfan came in for him uh, and played that second half. Jason, how did how did Farfan do? Uh, I thought he did better than DeLeon did uh, in this game. I thought DeLeon actually did okay going forward. Uh, the problem was that he didn't seem to he didn't seem to anticipate when Breck Shea was going to come forward from left back. And the result was that Orlando attacked the left side a lot. Now, maybe Orlando also picked up on, maybe they overheard DeLeon telling the bench, you know, I've got some hamstring tightness. I don't know about that. Because Orlando's attack coming into this game had been pretty heavily right-sided, and against United, they went heavy to the left. Um, But in either case, he struggled with the timing of when Shea was going to come forward, and Shea ended up firing into pretty dangerous crosses and, and just generally causing a lot of trouble in the first half. Um, I think he did an okay job dealing with Eric Avila, but he wasn't able to make the shift he needed to when it was time to make it to deal with Shea and hand Avila off uh, to Sean Franklin. Um, So after halftime, I think Farfan came in. I think I'm almost sure that Farfan was given some pointers on the bench even before going to the locker room at halftime and said, you know, these are the things you need to look out for because this is what's going wrong right now. Um, So he had that advantage over DeLeon having – gotten to see what Orlando was trying to do. But I also think um, not only did he take advantage of that extra prep time, but he seemed to add, he seemed to come in and change the tone of the game a little bit. He was more physical than De Leon. Um, he got in some, some pretty hard tackles. Farfan may, may be known for being a creative player, but he's definitely not going to um, shy away from the, the rough stuff. Um, he did he's play got, in Philadelphia. <laughs> right, there's a there's an edge to Michael Farfan, um, and United needed something to change in that game because the way it was going, it was all downhill for Orlando. Um, and De Leon, er, not that he was uh, shying away from it either, but he was not necessarily getting in as physically as Farfan was almost immediately. And I think sometimes when you're struggling, you need that little edge. I'm not saying that you know Olsen should look to send in a. Um, the hockey equivalent of sending in a, a, a goon to go in and start fights. Um, but sometimes you need to get a little a little tougher and, and tackle a little harder and maybe throw the other team out of their stride just a little bit. And I think Farfan did – I'm not saying he turned the game around or anything, but he did uh, help United push a little uh, – push things back a little closer to being even um, in a game where the first half it was a uh, basically an offense versus defense drill. Um, and in the second half it was a little better um, – he didn't create that much, but the possession I thought was a little better from him, and the defensive side was better. So I'm not if, if DeLeon can't play this coming weekend, I'm not too worried. Even though I have really liked what DeLeon's done this season thus far, um, but I also think that Farfan is capable of playing at that level, which is why I was excited to get him because he can play three different midfield positions in this formation and contribute something at a good level. Yeah, you you mentioned he was better in possession and. In fact, he completed, I think it was 19 of his 20 pass attempts, Yes, um, which is a, a very nice rate of completion, and that's yeah. something that he's done any time he's been on the field. He's just a guy who 
keeps the ball moving and, and gets it to teammates and instead of turning it over, which is nice because a lot of midfielders on United right now are not succeeding in that facet of the game. Right. Yeah, I mean, at halftime, I think the possession stat was not... It wasn't as pronounced as I thought it was going to be, but it was still clear that Orlando had taken ownership of the ball, and DC United was basically, you know, yapping at their heels, hoping that maybe we could get a touch here and there, um, which is not ideal. And, and when... Farfan came in and he didn't complete too many dangerous passes, but you know you've got to crawl before you can walk. And so if you're just completing side to side passes, at least it's something. There you go. What else from this game? Uh, Bill Hamid nominated for Save of the Week. Go vote on the league website mlssoccer.com. Um, get Breck, him. If, if Breck Shea wins that, I'm gonna kick something. See, I, probably, I would actually... probably a wall or something. I think but... I think our listeners should should write in. Uh, email us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com or, or tweet at filibusterdcu and let us know what Ben should kick if yes. if Breck Shea wins save of the week for for his goal line clearance of Chris Pontius's rebound attempt. That was actually, a, if they could combine saves by multiple people, Donovan Ricketts and Breck Shea might actually deserve save of the week because there were three actually pretty good saves to, that kept United off the scoreboard in that little flurry, but just the the goal line clearances. Right. Eh. I mean it was it was well, exciting and if you're an Orlando fan up pretty big, but eh. I mean I, I think it's pretty good. Especially I, I think the Shea clearance is top three in that field in that the other two, like Tyler Derricks is basically a, a bad version of Bill Hamid's save. Uh Joe mm-hmm. Bendick's save involves Joe Bendick making a bad save and dropping a juicy rebound that he should not have dropped. Um so those two should not get any votes. They will get many votes, and knowing the way United does in these polls, they'll probably both do better than Hamid um, because everyone is stupid. Uh, so <laughs> if you're one of our listeners and you're voting for Joe Bendick or for Tyler Derrick and you're not currently wearing a Toronto or Houston jersey, I'm sorry, but you're dumb. I have to. I hate to inform you. Also, you, are dumb. you probably you probably have an inkling that you're dumb, but now I'm, I'm confirming it. Also... Vocal minority people, vote for Bill Hamid. It was better than Joe Bendix. We know you're Toronto fans. Vote for it anyway. Just to be honest. Also, also a disclaimer. Been through enough? I will, well, also a disclaimer. I will only <laughs> kick non-living things. I will not kick any <laughs> living things. You will not kick your own cats. Or anyone else's cats. Or any other living thing. Well, I might kick a tree. No animals. Nothing from the animal kingdom. No vertebrates. Okay, guys. Definitely no send in your everyone. Send in your your suggestions for invertebrates. I want Ben to kick a geoduck. Or a jellyfish. <laughs> barefoot, barefoot, kick a jellyfish. Can we get you to do that? No. You're not Johnny Knoxville. No. All right. Let's let's turn our attention now. Let's turn our attention now to this upcoming weekend. DC United uh, hosts the New York Red Bulls Saturday at 7 p.m. Uh, it is a battle for first place in the Eastern Conference. In fact, these two teams have not lost to anyone but each other, and they've only played, and we all know how poorly that went. Um, but outside of that game, both teams are unbeaten 
so far this year, one and two in the Eastern Conference. Jason, given DC United's absences, Fabiana Spindola, Eddie Johnson, Luis Silva, uh, Marcus Halstey, and the tumultuous offseason that the Metros had firing Mike Petke, losing on Rhee and Loyandula, um, and Cahill, for that matter. Who saw this coming, these two teams being in first place at this point in April? Uh, well, I don't I don't think too many people thought United was going to be where we are. And, and to be fair, um, with a, a very large slice of luck um, helping that out, um, if, we, if, we, if this was an unlucky team, we, we might be sitting with one point um, from the Montreal match. Um, but, you know, sometimes you make your own luck, and, and I, I guess that's helped a lot um, for United. But for the, the Red Bulls, I think there was a lot of uncertainty because – on one hand, their midfield looked pretty good on paper, um, despite the, la- the lack of a true left winger. E- everything else looked good. Um, right Phillips was still there. The issue was really the back four, um, and-, and who's going to create the chances without Henri and Loyandula. Um, the midfield is covered. I mean, Felipe and Sasha Kleschen are not on that level of cr- uh, chance creation, but they're still pretty good. Um, Lloyd Sam has stepped his play up, um, and I don't know that people were necessarily expecting that. Um, for him to add the wrinkles he's added to his game so quickly. Um, and and Wright Phillips has actually added um, a lot. Last year his role was just poach goals, and that was it. And now he's, he's you know, against D.C. especially, um, dropping into the midfield, helping with possession, helping set other people up um, with through balls. That, that This was not something he was doing last year, mostly because he was just trying to stay out of Thierry Henry's way, um, which I think was probably what Henry told him to do. Um, just go stand near the goal and, and wait, um, which, which is also which is a, a I guess a good strategy. Kenny Cooper got 18 goals following that plan, um, playing alongside Henri as well. So I, I guess I would say the Red Bulls pe- people probably thought they were going to be a little further ahead of us at this stage, um, but I don't think either I don't think anyone's expecting both teams to have uh, as many points as they do right now. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I, I thought New York would come in out of the gate a little more slowly, um, given the new system, the, the the pressing system that um, I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm I'm gonna say the wrong name. <laughs> I always do this. It's not Jesse Jay Marsh. Eats. It's Jesse Marsh. For some reason, which, I wanted they're, they're the same person angry, in my mind. Which angry uh, uh, early to mid aughts uh, MLS player are you trying to refer to? Yeah, they, they are the same person in my mind. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Marsh, he's installed a high-pressure system there, and I thought that there would be more gaps in that system to exploit and more, um, especially given the frailty of their back line. I thought that there would be some issues with everything, but their their press has been uh, really strong this year, and that was the defining characteristic of United's loss was New York's press. And Ben... What can DC do to deal with that high press this time around? Well, I think they started to show it a little bit in the Orlando game. I think they've started finally to get to uh, start improving their passing through the midfield. Uh, it did break down a little bit on the defensive side from time to time, but they were able to connect passes uh, between Arnaud and Kitchen and De Leon slash Farfan in a much better way than they were in the previous couple of games. And 
Uh, they always seem to start March slow, and so the fact that they were able to get nine points from uh, March slash early April is a really good sign. So I think they're going to slowly get better and better, and I don't think it's much of anything different that they're going to have to do to improve on that. Uh, I think that it's just the natural evolution of the season, and for whatever reason, that's how this team... Uh, that's how that this team plays. So let's talk a little bit more about that, not just in the context of the upcoming game against the Red Bulls. Uh, it, we, we've seen Bill Hamid deal with lots of chances um, and deal with them very, very well, uh, obviously. But sometimes that, that happens with this team, and a lot of people think, seem to assign that as a, a one of the defining characteristics of Benny Ball, the the style of soccer that has kind of developed under Ben Olsen. Uh, a lot of people would say grit is also the defining characteristic. Never mind, uh, there are a lot of players who can who can play really good soccer. There was a debate this week though about the sustainability of Benny Ball and and Ben. I know you talked about it a little bit last week. Um, I don't know that we've ever properly defined what Benny Ball is. Well, I think that's part of the problem. I think a lot of people define it as a lot of different things. Yeah, I think that's right. So so let's work on that. Let's define Benny Ball, and then we'll, we'll get back to the Red Bulls after we deal with this more important thing. So what, what is one of... What what is Benny Ball to you? What are, what are the defining characteristics? Well, I'll, I'll I'll take a swing first, and then Jason will provide a much more informed answer than I possibly can. But I think so, the main characteristics of Benny Ball, I think I feel like it's rather similar to Bob Bradley's four four two. It's a compact, narrow uh, midfield and defense uh, with midfielders cutting into the inside. Forcing teams to take, uh, forcing teams wide, making them take crosses, and relying on Bobby Boswell, uh, Steve Birnbaum slash Jeff Park slash Kofi Apare, and Bill Hamid to just own the box and prevent any of those uh, crosses from getting in. Uh, it, as we've seen a little bit at the beginning of this year, it breaks down a little bit if the uh, narrow midfield can't prevent you from. You, from going through the midfield, like Kaká's run uh, in the Orlando City game, where he was just able, where the communication breakdown between uh, Perry Kitchen and Dave Yarnot allowed him basically a free run right through the middle of United's midfield. But it's a on the defensive side, it's staying narrow, staying compact, and making everybody cross into you. Where Bobby Boswell and whoever his partner is, and Bill Mead are just gonna clean up everything in the box. I think there that's definitely what it's become in a sense, but I think there's more to it than just that system. Because I, I think Ben Olsen can can change the system and still keep what I think of as the core tenets of, of Benny Ball, and that's kind of a pragmatism, um, meaning they he cares about winning and scoring goals and preventing goals rather than maintaining possession for possession's sake or other statistics. Basically, he's he's a scoreboard first kind of coach, which is different than 
a lot of the more fashionable coaches you'll hear about. Caleb Porter um, Just, is, is a guy who, yeah, um, they care about the system and the tactics and, and making things pretty. Ben Olsen doesn't. He really doesn't. And so I think pragmatism and, and a focus on the end result is is one of the defining kind of foundations of Benny Ball. Jason, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think pragmatism is a big part of it. Um, I think this is a team that's not necessarily committed to a certain style of play or a certain formation. Uh, obviously, people are going to say, oh, they play 4-4-2 all the time. Um Olsen, over his tenure, has tried repeatedly to bring in other formations. He tried uh, a 4-2-3-1, um, especially to get Bronco Boscovich on the field. Which was tried, uh, very successful in 2012. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he tried a, uh, a 4-1-3-2. Mul- in multiple seasons, he's tried to bring that formation in. Um, he, traded, uh, for da- he traded Rodney Wallace to get Dax McCarty in an effort to um, make that formation work in 2011. It didn't, you know, because McCarty was having to play a role that he wasn't really suited for, but um, the idea was to build a team playing 4-1-3-2, not to play 4-4-2. I think the reason it's stuck with that formation for so long has been that that's what we have on hand. That's the best best way to get our players into the best spots is playing that way. Um, Now, there is a certain... um, I, won't, I wouldn't go so far as to say fear, but maybe an antsiness to take a chance on um, more attack-minded players down the middle of the field. Um, you don't see you, – you see, uh, for example, someone like Michael Seaton um, struggling to get a look uh, because maybe he, his uh, the defensive side of his game isn't where it needs to be. Um, someone like Colin Martin gets put out on the wing a lot of times, though in the preseason he did play at the point of a diamond. Um, but those are the things that get kind of lost in the in the wash a little bit when people talk about it because for a certain segment of fans, Benny Ball means um, basically what happened in Orlando, which was not a good version of any system. Um, it was right. a team hanging on for dear life and then somehow getting away with it. Um, but uh, I think a big part of how what Benny Ball is is also um, – coming up big in the big moments, uh, being good inside both 18-yard boxes. Um, in 2013, I think there, there was a um, – I, I think I read a few different people say this, and they were accurate. Uh, 2013, D.C. United wasn't the worst MLS team of all time, but they might have been the worst in both 18-yard boxes of all time. Um, and I think Olsen set out to correct that. He found players that maybe they aren't great in the middle third, but – when it comes to making a, a big play when the game is on the line or you know, and, and in soccer, a goal saving tackle or um, coming up with one finish um, in a game with few chances, those are game change. Those are the definition of game changing plays. Um, I think he found guys that can come up in those moments uh, with the big play and get into the spots where the, those, those things can happen. Um, and so he improved the team at the either end of the field and maybe the sacrifices in the midfield, though I do think in an ideal world, he would have a team that dominates possession, that plays good soccer, that plays actually probably similar to Arena Arena's um, 98 DC United. But I also think he's just as much influenced, not directly, but I think from watching, I think he's just as influenced from Dominic Kinnear's Dynamo teams of the 
mid to late 2000s, um, in that they want to possess, they want to attack, but if that's not going to work, if it's not the best way to win, then then so be it. They'll find another way to get it done. And those teams were great inside the box. They were good at defending in the midfield. They Everyone worked hard. Everyone was committed. Um, there was a certain chip on the shoulder throughout that team. You didn't see any passengers. It's part of the reason why um, some of Houston's designated player signings over the years have not gone well. Uh, and by some of, I mean all. Um, well, DeMarcus uh, Beasley. But he's not. Well, yeah, I guess they had to make him a designated player now. But um, yeah, to, no, to get him in. But he's not now. And it, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think that is as much the model as um, I think our arenas teams that Olson came up as rookie on. That's the ideal. Um, but in in most situations, it's not ideal in life. So um, I think the dynamo of Dominic Kinnear uh, at their best is pro- and and those teams also played. Um, some diamond as well as some flat four four two. Um so in a lot of ways I, I see a lot of Houston Dynamo. It's not just Bobby Boswell, um, though that is also a a convenient uh linking factor. Um but I, I think ultimately it's about results and it's about um coming up with ways to win the game even if you're not going to outpossess the other team. I think he would love I think Olsen would love to have a number ten. Um, but it's got to be a number 10 that's on a Diego Valeri or Pedro Morales or Javier Morales level. He's not going to risk the defensive solidity for someone that isn't a dominant player. And I think that's the problem at this point is to change system, it's not just going to be a number 10 for the sake of having a number 10 or a number 10 who's equal to Davey Arnaud's level of play just at a different position. It's going. It's got to be someone that is an MVP discussion kind of guy. Um, that's what it's going to take for him to bring in a diamond, um, which a lot of fans are going to be unhappy about because it's not necessarily the aesthetics that DC United had in the distant past. But uh, this is a team that can't, that hasn't succeeded at scouting uh, internationally very often, and it's a team that doesn't have the money to just solve their problems by buying a guy that you don't have to scout. Um, Seattle can go out and get Clint Dempsey or Obafemi Martins, and it's not something where they had to think twice about it. It's just, can we put this together financially? Okay, let's sign the guy. Um, DC United isn't on that financial level right now. Uh, they probably they probably won't even be able to afford that kind of salary when they move to the new stadium. It's going to take a couple of years because of the amount of debt they've um, accumulated at RFK. Um, so it's going to take some time um, to change. And I think for for newer fans, I, I think I've noticed a tendency to accept um, a certain amount of pragmatism. Uh, and in the old school fans, that the spirits of the teams of the 90s that couldn't stop winning and, and were also the most attractive team in the league at the same time, um, those things die hard. It's it's hard to accept. But you know, what do you what would you do with the current roster that would change them into playing that way? Um, you would have to go sign several new players. And so the op- the option becomes: Do you ditch the style of play and lose, or do you keep winning with a style of play that is, in some in some cases, not not that aesthetically pleasing? And sometimes DC United is good to watch. I think they get a bum rap because people will tune in and see they'll see one game out of five, and they'll say, "Oh, well, that game they were boring to watch." Um, yeah, in you know, that, this is on a national level. In that respect, I think the model is is kind of a a poor man's version of the LA Galaxy from the last few years. 
um, people talk about the Tiki Taco that they've developed over just the last two years. Um, even when they had Donovan and, and Beckham, though, uh, they were winning titles as a team that won one to nothing. They won a lot of games, yeah. one to nothing, and there weren't and a bunch of chances. Playing without a number 10? Yeah, playing without a number 10, playing a 4-4-2, and built on defensive solidity. And they had their stars, so they would have a couple plays a game that were just right. really well, good, highlight real quality. Yeah. But they were mostly a grinded-out team. And yeah, and, and actually, there's an interesting um, quote. It's not a soccer quote. It's actually a um, quote from film. Um Howard Hawks uh, was an old director in the, the past, um, but Howard Hawks <laughs> not in the future. Worry, no, the past. He he didn't. He already directed his movies. They they already happened. Um, but one of his someone asked him what the secret of making a good movie was, and he said it wasn't. You don't have to make a ninety minute good movie where every second is awesome. Um, the secret to making a movie that people enjoy is you need to have five good scenes. And the Galaxy that Adam is talking about are a team that, that generally would have a few good moments, a few, you know, R- Robbie Keane does something amazing, or Landon Donovan runs past two people and then hits a perfect pass to some other guy to score. Um, they were good in those big moments where they the stars could shine, but a lot of the rest of the time it was just sort of like you're kind of waiting for that shoe to fall. And um, I think if we had those kind of players, that would be what we were doing, but we just, we can't afford a Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan didn't fall into our lap uh, coming back from Europe. So uh, them's the breaks uh, sometimes for any given sports team. Sometimes you just don't get these things and that's how it goes. And sometimes your movie is only uh, adequate. Well, and what what I'm saying is that this is a, a template that Benny Ball is based on a template that's worked with stars and without stars. It's, mm-hmm. it's an MLS proven Thing and it's not always pretty, and but it does provide a platform upon which to build a prettier system. It's a good base model to and build off if, of. And even if it doesn't build a prettier system, it builds. It's still a sustainable model for success in the league. It, well, it, it can be a sustainable model for success in the league. Yeah, it's that not said, something that's going to flame out necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, all that said, the midfield has to play better. Arno and Kitchen can't be giving right. the ball away oh, well, yeah, of in our own in our own half. That is well, not and that is not a part of Benny Ball, that's just bad. <laughs> right. And, and that was something that I noticed reading through um when Ben was having this discussion with with several different people. There were some people that conflated that the performance against Orlando as being the model, and it's not. Uh this was a bad performance. Uh, this was this was not Benny Ball. It was a the system not work. The players not working, so the system can't work. Um, you can't you can't talk about high minded tactical stuff if the players are having a bad game. If the individual players are playing poorly, it doesn't matter who your coach is um, or what their their system is going to be. The best you can hope at that point is that they don't give up a goal via some you know either by the goalkeeper standing on his head, which sounds familiar. Or maybe that the coach says, "All right, let's just go into a bunker um, and ride this thing out." Um, there aren't too many tactical pieces of advice you can give your team at halftime or for the next game that are going to overcome turnovers and um, bad decisions offensively and defensively. Those are things that every team, regardless of their tactical setup, are going to require to play well. You can't. 
uh, Caleb Porter isn't going to come in and fix that performance um, with that that standard of play in the first half against Orlando. It's not going to get fixed by switching to a four two three one or playing with a number ten. That those things won't that won't change. If anything, it'll get worse um, because at that point you're adding a defensive passenger uh, to the whole system, and then you you've got one less player working hard um, on top of everyone else playing badly. So um, sometimes I think we try and solve uh, problems when DC United doesn't play well. I think there's a tendency of the fan base to try and want to solve the problem with um, a formation change or a change in philosophy when the real problem is just sometimes players don't play well. Um, and maybe that's – maybe, you know, you've, if you want to criticize Olsen, maybe you want to get into why does that happen – um, why does it happen early in the season, or why does why does the team start matches slow sometimes? Those are criticisms you can make, but if you're sitting there saying, oh, if he just played a number 10, this would solve everything, I'm sorry, but it's not. Well, you mentioned that, that the team comes out of the gate slowly, and luckily on in, in the standings, that hasn't been the case this year, even if the eyeball test says something right. different. That was especially true on a smaller scale against the Red Bulls up there. I, I was on the bus up for that game, and, and the way the team came out so flat was really tough to see. Ben, what what do you think needs to happen for United to actually get out on the, the right foot against the Metros this weekend at RFK? Does does Benny just need to give them the hair dryer treatment before the game? I mean... Just to get them fired up? I mean, it helps. I mean, it does help that they were in kind of embarrassed in the previous game. Um, it does... Did they just need that chip on their shoulder to be able to come out? Maybe. I mean, they shouldn't because they're professional soccer players, but uh, I think it also helps... Well, I think a, a detriment was that the the lack of competition because of injuries and suspensions and so forth, uh, they may not have been pushing each other... They're pushing each other as hard in practice leading up to that. Uh, if Michael Farfan, for example... Uh, is playing this game, he's going to be trying to prove to Ben Olsen that he deserves to start regularly over Nick DeLeon, uh, regardless of uh, injury status. So getting, and Kofi Apare is going to be trying to prove that he deserves to start over Steve Birnbaum and their, and uh, Jairo Arrieta, Luis Silva, all these people hopefully are going to be pr- trying to tell Ben Olsen that they need to be starters as everybody else gets healthy as suspensions and and that wasn't necessarily the case a couple of weeks ago so hopefully a air of more competition and combined with the fact that hopefully everyone's just playing better uh now that we're a month and a half into the season uh will produce a better performance jason anything to add uh i think ben's kind of um nailing a good angle here is that uh, you've got a lot of players who are motivated that, that the players aren't dumb. They see that there's an opportunity to break into the team um, at various positions. It's not just one or two spots. It's a lot of spots where guys aren't really playing all that well um, or, or are playing okay, but there's room for improvement. And if you're someone else uh, that hasn't been getting as much time, you can push in and um, use – a game like this is a bit, it's a big opportunity and maybe Michael Farfan doesn't displace Nick DeLeon long term but maybe he pushes his way ahead of somebody else um because it's not like that there's no way to to use all of these players without him getting on the field he if he's playing better than certain players he's going to find his way onto the, onto the field um but I, but I think against New York I the, it's not so much that you have to give the players 
Um, uh, you know, you don't have to scream at them to get them motivated. Um, sometimes you just need to remind them that last time this team made us look terrible, and that's not who we are, and that's not what we're about. This is this is the team that has 13 trophies. Those are the guys with with nothing. Uh, that's the loser team. Um, so let's make them feel like what they are, and let's be who we are, and that's it. Sometimes you don't have to yell at people. You just have to remind them uh, of the the pride involved in in being what where they're where they're at. Um, and hopefully it you know hopefully Olson has his finger on what the team needs. Maybe they do need to get yelled at before the game. Um, maybe not. I don't know. But um, whatever it is inside the locker room, whatever the personalities involved that day need. Uh, hopefully he knows what it is because we can't really expect to start slow against New York again because New York likes to come out um, at top speed. Even if they're not playing that well soccer on the soccer side, they're still um, running at full speed, pressing you everywhere, and um, they've got some good skill as well and, and some fat, physically fast players. Um, so they start fast enough where they can sort of take – take the game by the, the scruff of the neck before they've even settled in, and then they can settle in with that control. So United can't let them be the only team that's flying at, at kickoff. It's got to be, um, you know, it's got to be United starts at the same speed or faster that, uh, as the Red Bulls. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be a good, a good early indicator at how the game is going is whether United can stand toe-to-toe with them for the first 5-10 minutes. Because last time they just they just didn't. Uh, ben, what else do we need to know? What else do we need to cover going into this game before we sign off for this week? Um, get out to RFK. Yeah, obvi- uh, obviously that. Go to RFK. Yeah. This is the Atlantic Cup. This is the league's original rivalry. So don't let don't let don't it's... let Cas- Cascadia confuse you. This, this yeah, is the weather is actually not going to be terrible for the first time this season. Yeah, 70 degrees and sunny during the day. rainy or, or frigid. It's going to be nice. And if you're a college student, it's also college night, so you can get cheap tickets. So really, if you needed an extra reason to go. Jason, anything else before we, we check out? Uh, I would say with New York, um, it sounds like they're going to end up with the same back four as uh, the last time we played them. Uh, Ronald Zubar and Roy Miller are still out. Um, and we saw last time that, if anything, Roy Miller might might have a hard time getting back his uh, starting job because uh, Kamar Lawrence played really well against D.C. and um, has since played well uh, for Jamaica uh, in the in the intervening period. So I, I don't think they're going to feel too bad about that. But at center back, I think they're vulnerable. I don't think Damian uh, Perinell is anything special. Matt Miazga is inexperienced. I think I think that's the the area of the team that United needs to expose, and they need to expose it a little earlier. Which means playing, getting getting out of that pressure. Um, if a team presses you, the way you make them stop pressing you is by playing out of it a few times, showing that you have the ability to connect those passes, maybe in your own half instead of in the attacking half. Um, and once you bypass that first layer of pressure, all of a sudden you're going to have they're they're backs to goal. They're sprinting. They're they're kind of in chaos, and then you can create something. Um, New York's game plan at this point is sort of predicated on their midfield protecting their their back four. Um, it's sort of um, if you think back to uh, 2013 Portland, um, where their midfield was dominant, but their back four was a Portland Timbers back four. Um, they were hiding it, and they got away with it. Um, 
whether they whether New York can get away with that for an entire year like Portland did, I don't know. But um, this would be a good time to expose the fact that that's not really a good set of defenders. Um, and even in the last game when DC was getting outplayed, we still had good looks fall to Chris Rolfe. Um, mm-hmm. And it, in that game, any the, the player you would have put your money on to score a goal for DC United would have been Chris Rolfe. And so that it's not like the, that United has to be brilliant to get around this uh, incredibly good team. It's just you've got to play well enough to get out of some pressure, and then all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of chances to score because the New York's just not going to be able to defend on the run. If they if their pressure isn't doing the defending for them, I think United's got a got a good chance to uh, really test Luis Robles um, because I don't see I don't see that defense adding much. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I think that's right. I think th- this is the the big key. I think. Besides, you know, do the simple things well is play for each other. Move, find open spaces, work for your teammates. You know, really basic stuff is what's right. going to win this but game. But just getting it right over and over again yeah. um, is the thing. With, with fundamentals, it's always about just doing it repeatedly well rather than doing a spectacular job in this one play and then the next play doing uh, below average because that's where you get exposed. Mm-hmm. All right, that's where we're going to end it this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu. Send your hate mail along with your suggestions for things for Ben to kick to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com or, or at filibusterdcu on Twitter. Find us on iTunes where you can leave us a rating and review, which helps us spread the word and, and, and get the podcast into new ear holes, which sounds gross, but it isn't. We're also on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Um, the best thing you can do to help us out, though, is at the tailgate on Saturday. Tell your friends about the show and about the website. Um, and that is how we will gain more listeners and take over the world. Hooray! For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.